welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. Today we are back once again with The Children of the Lamp and we're reading book five, The Eye of the Forest. So two more weeks of this after this week. If you're new to our show or podcast with the Nerd Party Network, we read and reread YA books from our adolescents and share them with each other. I picked out this particular series. I'd read it in middle school and then I read it again my senior year of high school. And so it's been really fun to revisit it. And... I just want to say I've been having some, if you listen to our show, you know we live in New York City. And fun fact about New York City apartments is that a lot of the times you can't control the heat. And my radiator just keeps going off because it's winter. And so we've been having more background static in my side. So I'm trying a new recording setup, which could make things worse, but hopefully will make them better. So if things sound different, again... We apologize. It's just that we're trying to make things better, but we don't really know until the whole episode is done if it really was better. <laughs> so anyway, just wanted to give you that heads up. Asia, how are you liking the series? We're five books in now. I'm definitely still enjoying it. I think I've mentioned before that I really enjoy the comedy over everything, which I feel like that's just what keeps drawing me into the series. But the books are getting longer and longer, which is making this harder. <laughs> for me but overall i'm enjoying it i just wish the books weren't quite as long i understand that that's a valid point especially because we're reading one per week yes but i'll go ahead and give a quick summary as the newcomer for the reading so there's a bunch of drama that essentially leads the dream team to have to go down to peru to save a prehistoric site and save the planet from global warming They go off to do that with lots of obstacles and plot twists, only to come face-to-face with Virgil McGreevy, or as I like to call him, McCreepy, and Dybbuk. And in the end, Dybbuk has to decide between good and evil, and let's just say he makes the wrong choice. Also on a side note, Layla Gaunt gets plastic surgery, so she looks like herself again, but that's pretty much the whole book, even though it was like almost 500 pages. (laughs) I was able to sum it up in a few sentences, but hopefully you're intrigued by that summary enough to keep listening because for my impression of the book, again, I'll just say it was long. Also, this book, there were like a lot of like creatures, like creepy crawly, like giant animals, giant snakes, giant caterpillars, which is like kind of gross. I would say this has probably been the grossest book personally. Like I think there was the Like, there wasn't that much of it, actually, but, like, the parts where it was, it was just a bit much. But definitely very action-packed and long. I think that's accurate. My impression was kind of like what you just said with the summary, that it was, like, the most... I don't want to say simple plot because there were plot twists, but in all the... It was the most, like, one, one location plot. Like, I feel like in the other books, especially the last two... We were following like four or five different characters in different spots. We basically were just... Yeah, and they were pretty much all together. Yeah, except for the moments when the boys separated from the group. But then they got reunited with the group pretty quickly. So that's exactly what I mean. That like, they weren't... And they were still very close together. Whereas I feel like in the other books, they've been like countries away. Yeah, like in the last book, Philippa was like in Scotland by herself. And everyone else was in China. And their mom was flying across the Pacific Ocean, even though that made no sense. And she should have been flying across the Atlantic Ocean. You know, whereas we really barely got any of the other characters. And so, yes, that's kind of why I feel like the plot also felt like not as many things happened in it. Because we were just following the dream team the whole time. So, anyway, that was my impression. And I just noticed it because it was really different than the last book. Yeah. So... Just to start off, right off the bat, Mrs. Trump Gaunt, and they call her that because whenever two people are sharing, a spirit is sharing the body with someone else, they call them by both names, which is weird. She, so it's just not working because they keep calling her Mrs. Trump, even though it, Mrs. Trump 
now it seems, because we were talking about this at the end of the last book, it seems like she is brain dead. It seems like she is not in there at all. It seems like entirely Mrs. Gaunt is running the show in the body that used to be Mrs. Trump. Yeah. Right? So that... Yeah, that's what I got too. Okay, so that makes it seem like... Because I want to talk about this. Because at the end of last book, we were like, well, if Mrs. Gaunt is kind of alive, it feels kind of a little weird that Mrs. If Mrs. Trump is alive, it feels kind of weird that Mrs. Gaunt just kind of gets to steal her body. But... It doesn't. It didn't feel as weird now that it doesn't seem like Mrs. Gaunt is around, right? Like I felt like it was more okay for Mrs. Gaunt to take Mrs. Trump's body now that Mrs. Trump is not there, right? I guess it's still weird, especially because then she takes her body and like physically alters it to look like her old body. So, well, that's what I felt really creeped out about. I was like, oh, I can get behind. That's what exactly what I want to talk about. I was like. It's totally, like, I felt really like it was okay that she took the body because, it like, the body wasn't going to get used otherwise, essentially. But then she goes and has gin plastic surgery performed on it to make herself look like Mrs. Gaunt. And I'm like, this feels ethically ambiguous to me. Yeah, also just, like, very weird. I don't know. Again, this the, the whole plot line of Mrs. Gaunt here is, like, I don't know. I don't really understand, like, what purpose it's serving. Like, is it going to, like, matter in the end, like, with what happens that, like, this all happened or, like, they could have just totally gotten rid of this and she could have just, like, never burnt her body up? Like, do you know what I mean? I feel like, what is the point of this plot line? Yeah. I I don't get it. Because it's also been, it's also been completely separate from, like, the main plot line. Like, even in this book, at the beginning, she's like, oh, I'm going to South America to get plastic surgery, then John and Philippa realize that they're also going to be going to South America and she doesn't even meet up with them. Like, she just gets mentioned later. Yeah. Like, to go do something completely different back in New York. And I just feel like if we're getting to the final resolution that we can talk about at the end of Mrs. Gaunt's plotline, I don't know if we need to go through all of these steps of her body gets burned, she takes over Mrs. Trump's body, she goes and changes herself back into herself. Like, I feel like... You could have, if you wanted to write Mrs. Trump out of the story because she wasn't doing anything anymore, she could have easily said, with her $33 million, she went and lived with her family, and that was perfectly reasonable, and no one would have batted an eye. But the whole, she's now in a coma, so Mrs. Gaunt takes over her body, but then Mrs. Gaunt has to change the body back so that she looks like herself. And if that's not going to matter, like, if, if Mrs. Gaunt truly has given up her gin powers, which jumping ahead a little bit she's right back to where we started when we met her at the beginning yeah so i don't get it really no yeah i think it's because it would be one thing if like she went to mrs trump's body and now she's like be mrs trump but now that she's gotten plastic surgery and they're making it seem like she's just like she was before it is kind of like what was the point of doing all of that if it doesn't like serve some greater purpose it honestly reminds me of in breaking dawn when like, in the last part, how Bella, like, goes to, like, get the fake passports for, like, Jacob and Renesmee and stuff. And, like, that's a whole side plot that doesn't end up being needed. And it just feels like it either, like, wasn't explored enough or, like, it just was, like, what was ultimately the point of that besides being, like, filler? Yeah, because also because Jacob and Renesmee were never going to leave. That was ridiculous. Like, they were never going to just, like, abandon the crew. So I don't think we're, like, at that point yet where it's like, oh, this plotline is totally pointless because we're not done with the series, and I obviously don't know what happens, but right now it just feels like this could possibly be my takeaway on it because I'm like, I don't see right now how it's going to connect to, like, the overarching, like, storyline. I think that's totally valid, and that's kind of where I was with this plotline as well. Well, anyway, this leads them to discovering that there are problems with whirlwinds because Mrs. Gotten is unable to take a whirlwind to go down to South America. She ends up having to book a flight, and it's due to global warming. So, due to because it's due to global warming. I feel like I said warning. It's due to global warming. So that's a thing, I guess. Which you know, climate change is real. Yeah, and I guess. I guess PB Care was trying to let people know that it was real. So good for him, I guess. 
you know, he's making us aware of the dangers. Jin won't be able to fly on private clouds. And so Mrs. Trump Gaunt goes off. She leaves the kids. They go off to meet Nimrod. And Mr. Gaunt is promptly kidnapped, like within the same chapter. He's like, okay, kids, I'm going to work. See you in a couple days. He immediately gets kidnapped. We don't know by whom, but that's kind of going to, like, that's how we start the book. And we'll come back to it at the end. And if that wasn't enough, John actually gets himself into trouble because John, Philippa, and Nimrod, and like, you know, that whole crew, they end up going to Mr. Vodianoi. Is that how you say his name? I think so. That's how I said it in my head. So, Mr. Vodianoi, which, you know, is the other Jin, he's the one who gave John the. Discrimin? The discrimin, which is like the extra wish, like way at the beginning of the series. But anyway, he's hosting like a Jin Verso tournament at his like this really spooky haunted house. What was it like upstate or something? In Connecticut. Or in Connecticut. And New Haven. <laughs> and when they first arrive in this house, Mr. Voidianoi is talking about how like you can only go on the west wing like you can't go in the east wing like the east wing is haunted and like a mess and like if you go in there you'll be lost forever no one will be able to save you and yeah so just why would you want to own that house but he does and john only wants to go because apparently mr Vo- mr Annoy has like these talking boards where you can like talk to ghosts and spirits and he really wants to try to figure out if he can connect with mr rakshashas if we remember from last book, Mr. Rakshasas was absorbed by some sort of, like, soul-sucking zombie. So it's, like, unclear if he's, like, actually dead or if he's maybe in, like, some sort of limbo state. Like, it's unclear. And John is just, like, wants to do anything he can to try to contact him. But, of course, on the night of all of this happening, there's, like, this huge storm. And it's dark and there's lightning. And of course, John, you know, couldn't wait until the storm passed or, you know, at least gets light out. He's like, I'm going to go in the dark on this like dangerous excursion to go to the absolute border of the west wing of the house that's considered safe to get to these talking boards. And like, obviously, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. And I just was like, stupid, stupid boy, as usual. Yeah. Also, side note about the Mr. Rakshasas thing, I feel like he has to come back because they bring it up all the time. They spend the whole book being like, I wish he was here. Also, he didn't die, but we have to pretend he was dead because he was absorbed. Like, that's literally how it's described this entire book. I'm sure he's going to come back. Yeah, I'm like, at first when we, I was like, oh, I wonder if he died at this point. But I'm like, he has to come back because they keep talking about it as if he's dead and when a character dies, you don't have to harp on it that much if they're dead. But if they're going to come back, you got to leave it open. Anyway, so so that basically sets up our whole plot. The crew, they're going to go to the rainforest because of John's talking board excursion. To They're going to go to Peru to circumvent some prophecy about the Eye of the Forest, which is a sculpture in and portal in the rainforest and if they don't it'll lead to the end of the world because of course not also faustina shows up and she's like go fix climate change and i'm just really glad that they're able to fix that with gin power because it feels like we could use that um in our you know world like if there are any gin listening to our podcast please fix climate change for us because the planet is doomed yes but before they do any of that I just need to still talk about Mr. Voidinoy having this awful house and just John, like, not making smart decisions. So I kind of already said, who would want to have this house of horrors? Like, obviously, it's cursed and dangerous. Like, I automatically did understand that setup. And then on top... Also, they say it's cursed. They're like, it's the most haunted house in America. Or yeah, like, like they're like well aware of it. Like, like, it's... But they're like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, I don't know. Just Why? And then on top of that, we have John just making a fool of himself, which the first thing is, so after like John goes on this exhibition and he like makes it out okay, Mr. Voidano ends up saying that like, you know, the talking boards are so dangerous and like he should have never used those in the first place. 
And I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, I this is where I was like finding like plot holes because Mr. Avoidianoi says this, like how they're so dangerous, they should never be used. But the reason why John was able to even get to them is because Mr. Voidinoy's butler named Bo just tells John exactly where they are. Like, John asks him about it, and he's like, oh, well, they're over here. Like, this is how you get to them. And he's like, you know what you're doing, right? Because you're a djinn. Like, as if he would tell any djinn that walked into the house. So, I don't know. If they're so dangerous, like, would Mr. Voidinoy have told his butler? Like, I don't know. That, to me, seemed weird. And then... Also, what seemed weird to me about that is also, like, John knows about the talking boards. He's like, the main attraction of this trip for me is going to see them. So I'm like, at some point, someone has told him about this extensive collection of talking boards. And I'm like, if they're so dangerous, like, it feels like that would be part of a conversation. But that's not even... I feel like John you know, knew that they were dangerous, but he was willing to take the risk. But I'm saying the fact... But the fact that he had just had easy access? Yeah, he had them so easily accessible and also like didn't even like have his butler like they weren't even under lock and key like or like the butler is like preventing people from finding them like if they were so dangerous why do you just have them like out that like if somebody knew what they were looking for they could easily get to them just seemed odd it's a good it's an excellent point and then in this same conversation where mr voidinoy says this John, they're asking John, okay, well, you use the talking boards. Like, what language were they speaking to you? And, like, which board did you use? And he doesn't remember anything. And this is, I'm telling you, like, this whole thing is happening, like, within 10 pages of each other. Like, we get the incidents of him with the talking boards, and then, like, barely 10 pages later, it's him, like, talking about it. And, like, he's like, I don't know. I don't remember. And I'm like, how can you not recall? It was, like, really traumatizing. You went through a lot. And you don't remember anything like he didn't remember the language or even like the board he used, which I which I'm not expecting him to be able to identify the language. But on the talking board, which is basically like a Ouija board, it like could spell stuff out and like it spelled out two distinct things. And I'm like, I don't understand why he didn't remember that, which like maybe, okay, you it was happening in the moment you forgot the letters. But he says he doesn't even remember which talking board he used. And he even, when he picked it up, like, noted that it had pictures of Native Americans. Like, he specifically, like, had that thought and, like, didn't remember, like, the next day. I don't know. I know that didn't bother me as much because he's like, I could identify it if I saw it, which he does do. I guess. But it was just kind of like... I don't know, especially, like, when he spelled out the words, I felt like he should have taken note of that. Like, he went through all of this to do the talking boards, and then he doesn't even, like... It de- he definitely didn't, wasn't prepared. Think about because, what he... like, if he wanted to actually get answers, he should have expected the talking board not to be like, hello, I am Mr. Rakshashas, I'm coming back tomorrow on the 7 o'clock train. Yeah. Like, you had to expect it was going to be mystical. Yeah, but, I mean, I'll even give him, again, that he didn't get the words, but, like, the fact that, like, he just couldn't remember off the top of his head which board he used like I don't know I maybe have like more of a visual memory but I would have at least been able to like remember that and describe it I mean fair enough well I'm yeah I I take your point so luckily with some jogging in his memory he gets it all Nimrod fills us in one of the words is paidity which is a place and Manco Kapak is a person and he was basically an Inca leader and a jinn. And because of this, they have to go deal with this Eye of the Forest prophecy, which is like a gateway in the jungle. And it somehow related to Manco Kapak. And he had a prophecy that could end the world. Also, there's something about twins involved. And everyone's like, it's probably these two. And no one tells them. So, yeah. That was a little annoying because, like, we just drop a prophecy and then no one... We didn't actually hear what the prophecy itself was, did we? I don't remember hearing a prophecy. They just said it had something to do with twins, which I just was, like, totally random that in book five we're getting some random prophecy. But I think, based on what we find out in the end, I think it does, like... Even though we don't get the specific prophecy, I think it, like, makes sense now why it, like, was just kind of thrown in there. Yeah, I agree. I take your point. So, we don't get a huge explanation, but like you said, we'll probably talk about it at the end. So, that's kind of the, all the pre-setup for the plot. Are you ready to go to Peru? Two more things before that. Okay. One, 
why does Zadie want to join them on one of these horror adventures, which, new character alert, we have... Not a new character. We met her a couple books ago. She's basically, she's new main character because I didn't remember her. Yes. Like, I felt like they said, like, they mentioned that, like, oh, she's been here before. But, like, she's just one of those random named characters in, like, one of those group scenes that, like, unless you're, like, a fan of this book and, like, you've read this a lot, like, you and you knew that she was going to be a part of this book, you would not have been like, oh, I remember her name. Yeah. She was very, very, she was briefly in the twins' birthday party a couple books ago. Yes. So... Yeah, so for context, she's just another young Jin acquaintance of theirs, and basically she, like, forces Philippa into promising her that she gets to come on whenever they have their next adventure, which I guess, like, a Jin promise, like, you can't break or something, they say. So it was already kind of sketchy because, one, I understand, like, she was saying, like, her life felt boring, and, like, Philippa and John have already been on all of these adventures since they found out they were Jin, and she's like, I just want to experience that. But I don't know, all of these adventures that she thinks they've had have all been, like, them risking their lives and, like, almost dying and losing people they love. So, like, I don't really think it's that fun, but maybe that's just kind of, like, her ignorant take on it from the outside. But I did think that was, like, suspicious that she was like so adamant especially because she basically like manipulated philippa into like getting her to come on the trip so that was weird and then yeah also because like they weren't like close friends with her no not at all she was an acquaintance just like another gin that they just knew but my second thing was just something I noted, which again was like a plot hole to me or like not a plot hole, but like just doesn't make sense character wise. And obviously like Gronin has been like super adamant like throughout the series that he's like a proud Englishman, very British. And there's a line where he refers to like he says soccer instead of like football and I, like, wrote down the quote. It said, I dislike all games except soccer and darts. And I was like, there's no way Gronin would refer to it as soccer. Like, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just looking too much into it. But I was like, that makes no sense. No, I think that's a really good point. I didn't notice that. But, like, I think you're absolutely right. And also, PB Care is, was Irish, I believe. I can't remember what I said. Maybe he was Scottish. But, like. My point... I thought everywhere else refers to it as football except for America. But that's my point, is that, like, he's definitely... I wonder if we have an American edition, because, like, there's plenty of British words in this book, so I think that, um... And, yeah, like like you said, everywhere else in the world except the United States calls it football, so... Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I did not catch that, but that was a sleuthy catch of you. Of yours. You're welcome. So. Thank you. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Now we can fly to Peru. And this is when, you know, I officially decided that Gronin is clearly here for the comic relief of the story. You know, if we couldn't already identify that. But even though he's funny, he's also just very stupid, which I feel like there's like now a theme of like him losing stuff but when they get to Peru like the first thing they have to do they get Pizarro's skull and Numero gives it to Gronin to like take back to the hotel and he literally loses it within like five minutes and it's okay because they end up getting it back pretty quick also that was a throwaway plot line we didn't need Pizarro's skull had no bearing on the plot at all yeah they ended up I guess they didn't have to be there they had Pizarro's skull because it turns into the mummy, but I guess, like, the wish, like, he could have just appeared. Like, they didn't need the skull. Um, did they end up right. speaking to Pizarro? I didn't think they ended up speaking to him. It just ends up becoming his zombie army. Yeah, I don't think, they didn't get his skull to speak to him, I don't think. But why did they get his skull in the first place? Nimrod said that they got his skull because they were going to be talking to, like, the Incan, the Incans and stuff, and, like, they said that... Like, as a, like, kind of, like, a peace offering, like, giving the skull of, like, their greatest enemy or something. Like, that was his explanation for why they got it. Oh, you're absolutely right. I completely blanked on that. You're right. But, like, they didn't end up actually using it. His skull ends up turning into, later on, jumping a little ahead, is 
Zadie makes a wish and then like it makes all of the Spanish like army like come to life so Pizarro's skull like turns into a zombie and like that's the end of the skull but like that's not what they originally got it for it was kind of just like uh like insurance basically he even said he was like just something extra have like as an offering okay that makes more sense because I was like I don't get why we even brought him in the first place but anyway Gronin loses it but they get it back really quickly and but we can forgive him because pretty soon after he does something very fun, or at least I found this very funny. I actually laughed out loud when I read it in the book. And basically when they're in Peru, they have this tour guide named Siki and he, the tour guide has a chef named Muddy and Gronin is like, we've established before that like he has a very weak stomach. So he like never eats the cuisine of any of these countries that they're visiting. He just like carries along baby food. But he was saying how he was really looking forward to trying the Peruvian beer or like this or the Incan beer because it's supposed to be really good. And they're drinking this like beer or whatever all together as a group. And then Muddy, the chef, ends up like talking about how it's made from his spit, like his own personal saliva, which is honestly so nasty and disgusting. I mean, I was also disgusted reading this. But the line that got me is they're like talking about it and like John is like egging him on to like keep talking about it. And there's just a line that says Gronin got up and left the table quietly. And I don't know. It just like gives me like the office vibes or something like there's so much happening. Like he's talking about the spit beer and in the background you see like Gronin get up and he like goes into the bushes and immediately starts puking. Like I don't know. I just thought that was so funny. And then. Like, Nimrod ends up, like, informing the rest of the group, you know, that Gronin's already had several large glasses of it. So, absolutely disgusting. I would throw up, too. And the description, like, did start to make me feel nauseous because they were talking about how, like, yellow the liquid was. Nasty. Yeah. That was absolutely vile. It was disgusting. Um, The yellow spit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how are you? I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad that you find grown and entertaining. How are you vibing with the books as a whole? Well, I'm definitely enjoying them more than Nicholas Flamel, I would say. I think because I mean, Nicholas Flamel was grosser, honestly. Like, there's too many spiders in that book. But, and I think, like I said, I think the saving grace for these books is they're funny. There's like lots of funny parts where, like, I genuinely think it's hilarious which maybe as you've mentioned about how pb care the author you said that he like this is his only children's book like or children's series or like he's more of an adult author yeah so i feel like his tone of voice and like his way of storytelling like i don't know he's just funny like i feel like i can laugh at like some of the moments whereas obviously some of the other series we've read that are for like younger audiences it can be really cheesy and corny and it's just not the same whereas i feel like there are genuinely funny things like in this book and I feel like that's really hard to come across I think that's a really good observation because I was wondering I've also thought this was funny but I mean it's definitely written for younger people but like I have thought it was funny too so that makes perfect sense what you said about maybe he was writing more from a an adulter sense of humor not like in an inappropriate way but in a just more sophisticated yeah that's what I'm thinking like it's Cause I'm just thinking of like other series, like, and I, for me, I like funny stuff. So I feel like what's getting me through is I like genuinely find parts of it funny. Like, as opposed to, I feel like other books we've read, I'm laughing at things because I think that they're so stupid or so ridiculous, but like, I'm genuinely laughing at things that are supposed to be yeah. funny in the book. So during the jungle, my favorite scene in the whole book is when Nimrod and John become jaguars and they go hunting. I thought that was really cool. They were really cool as big cats and as we know i love cats well that couldn't have lasted long because they end up murdering like this 60 foot long bow constrictor or something so that had to be that had to be terrifying for you that was horrible i hated that yeah it was pretty gross and then when they like the next day they strung it out the body and it was like 60 i mean that's definitely scary i would have died instantly i would literally be dead also, when they were like, John was like, we should go back and warn everyone. And Nimrod is like, no, we won't be able to see it tomorrow. We've got to kill it now. I would have been like, okay, I quit. 
I mean, they were, like, in pretty good position. They're, like, not even there in their real bodies. They were jaguars. Like, obviously, if they were thought they were going to be killed, they'd have to, like, jump out of the body in time. Yeah. Okay, poll listeners. Do you say jaguar or jaguar? Let us know in the comments down below. It's definitely jaguar. We've talked about this. It's jaguar. In America, like, in an American accent, it's jaguar? I have- The car is a jaguar. You don't call it a jaguar. I think Jaguar is But isn't that, like, also, like, that's not an American-made car, is it? No, it's not. Where is it made? Germany or something? No, I think it's British. I mean, I don't know where it's made, but isn't a Jaguar British? So then that... But I'm saying, like, it's a... If it's, like, a British brand, then it would make sense that it would be pronounced with a British pronunciation. I just never heard anyone except you, someone from Southern California, call it a Jaguar. I mean, I honestly can't even think of any time in my life that I've ever heard anyone even say that word. So <laughs> I can't like think off the top of my head. Okay, well, again, listeners, let us know. Is it Jaguar, the correct way, or is it Jaguar, the incorrect way? Jaguar. Oh, God. Jaguar. Sounds... Ew, now it doesn't sound like a word anymore. Okay, <laughs> it's like when you say saying. fork, like... Ten times in a row, you're like, that's not a real word. We better cut that from the English. Anytime you say any word or you, like, look at a word for too long and you're like, are we sure that's how it's spelled? Like, it just doesn't look right anymore. Dessert and desert. Like, I know dessert has two S's because you want more because it's dessert. But I'm like, when I see the word dessert right now, I always have to, like, take a second. I'm like, is it dessert? Dessert. Well, I also have to take a second. But also, like, dessert is, like, dessert. Dessert. I guess it's just the thing. Dessert. Dessert sounds like... Dessert, like, as in I'm deserting you, you don't spell it with two S's, but dessert, as in I'm eating it, is with two S's. So that's absolutely crazy that we have. <laughs> that's why the English language is such a mess. I mean, it's not, it's honestly not that much more of a mess than any other language. Um, no, yeah. It's just that it's always like, I just remember learning things. You're like, oh, there's these rules, but then there's like these five to ten exceptions. So it's like, how's it even a rule? Yes. Anyway, that's that, I guess. So, back to the plot. So, like we said, Nimrod and John went to go be jaguars, jaguars, whatever. And because they left, they only have Mr. Voidianoi is with them. And he's the only, like, mature djinn to protect the rest of them. Also because, like, the young djinn, which it's Philippa and Zadie, are still with the rest of the group. Obviously, if they get cold for whatever reason, their gin power won't work anymore. So, Mr. Voidanoi is the only person who can actually protect them, which Nimrod definitely overestimated him because he ends up getting taken out by a poisonous frog, and then they all end up getting captured by headhunting Indians, or at least what we think are headhunting Indians at the time. And and like when John and Nimrod get back and Nimrod's response is, I'm afraid we've seen the last of him on this expedition. I was like, guess we wrote him out of the book. (laughs) Um, It was very sketchy. And honestly, that's actually when I started to distrust Zadie. And then it was confirmed for me literally the next chapter. Yeah, we end up finding that Zadie is actually a traitor because she's been communicating with McCreepy or McCreepy. And she's been the one making all these giant animals. Like, she made the giant snake. She made the giant caterpillar that almost ate Gronin. And this was definitely just, like, a pretty big plot twist. So I thought that made the story more interesting. I'm assuming you didn't see it coming. No. Like I said, I really only, like, was suspicious. I feel like when we first met Zadie and she, like, was begging to go on the adventure. Yeah. But after that, like, I didn't, she was just, like, annoying, and, like, again, I was, like, more so, like, why did they let her come on this? Like, she sucks. Was more the vibe I was getting, as opposed to, like, we can't trust her, like. Yeah, she was super. Like, she's bad. Yeah. Also, like. I was just more, like, she's annoying. And she wasn't even a good, like, traitor spy. Like, because, I mean, I wouldn't know, I've never done espionage, but I would assume that when you're, like, a spy, your goal is not to make yourself disliked. You're supposed to blend into the group or at least be helpful. Like she was being downright unpleasant the whole time. And I was like, I feel like that was the surefire way to get rid of her. Like have them dump her was being insufferable. Like she was, I don't know. Maybe I'm 
thinking too much about it. But. Well, I think by being like insufferable, it could be that people don't want to talk to her or be around her, which gives her time to like be alone and send the messages to make creepy and to cast her gin power to make the animals big. Like I feel like, you know, when you're just totally insufferable to be around, it gives you moments alone. That's a good point. Without being suspicious. Well, so then they break out from the headhunters camp and Zadie actually leaves. She's like, I'm done. Bye. And Philip was like, well, can't make her stay. And then that's kind of when Nimrod and John, because they find out about Zadie, they realize the whole thing was a trick by Virgil McCreevy to lead them to the eye of the forest because he basically wants them to do all the legwork and then he'll just profit off of it. And that's kind of like a huge, huge, huge twist that I definitely didn't see coming. Yeah, me neither. I didn't see that coming at all. Basically, everything that they thought for like why they were even going to Peru was like all made up by McCreepy. So, yeah, definitely a huge... Which was high-key mastermind. I mean, really, like he was plotting like... So, yes, that was... Definitely a big plot twist, but when they all connect, kind of everything ends up getting revealed, which we find out that Dybbuk has actually been working with McCreepy and helping him, and they're both using Zadie to get there, and McCreepy is also the person who kidnapped Edward Gaunt, their dad, so it kind of all makes sense, and Dybbuk is in it because he thinks that he'll be able to get his gin power back by this ritual. So, which is stupid, because, like, there's absolutely no way that's not going to work. Yeah, that made, that was, like, I mean, I know McCreevy, like, tempted him and was like, what if this works? But I was like, I really um don't think that's going to work, Buck, to get your gin power back. But, okay. um, And it turns out Zadie was hypnotized, like, by McCreevy. But Dybbuk is being an absolute idiot. Like, I really was, I mean... I get it, he's desperate because he doesn't have his gym power, but I was like, you should know better than to think that doing some, like, that to get that you can get your gym power back because you'd known the entire time it was, in, it was a finite life force. It's not like an on-off switch, you know? It wasn't like... His, exactly. You know, that we've seen the gym power, we've seen the gym lose their powers from, like, bindings or, like, being cold or any number of things that take their powers away temporarily... But, like, if they, like, they he lost the energy to do it. Like, he doesn't have, like, the... F- it would remind me almost of, like, like they're, like, candles. And, like, you know, you slowly burn at it and the wax burns away. And, like, once you're out of wax, it's gone. It's over. Like, you can't just buy a new candle. That's not how it works. Like, I don't know. I just... So, yeah, the logic was already, like, if Dybbuk believes this, which I understand he's, like, desperate and depressed because he doesn't have his gym power. But... This is what brings the most iconic line of the book, if not the whole series. This is my favorite part. And again, when I'm talking about, like, funny, but also iconic. So, I I pulled the whole quote, so settle yourself in here. Can you do accents? But we have. Please do voices. Please do voices. I can't do voices. I am not Charles. But <laughs> the quote goes, Manko was old and sick already, said Dybbuk. Anyway, without gym power, I might as well be dead. To live without gym power is no life at all. You're still alive, said John. That's something, isn't it? Easy for you to say, John, said Dybbuk. You still have your power. I don't. And whose fault is that, said John. John is right. You were warned not to waste your power, said Nimrod. By everyone. Me, your poor mother, everyone. But you chose not to listen. You abused your gift by performing cheap matter trips for the entertainment of mundanes. And whose fault is that? That's just me repeating the line because of what an iconic line from John. Whose fault is that? That's right, Dybbuk. Your own fault. You're complaining. You're the one who got yourself in that situation. Yeah, it was, uh, it was excellent. I mean, it was absolutely excellent. And I really liked this plot line of Dybbuk losing his power. Not that I wanted him to lose his power, but I liked that we got to see a character actually lose his power because we hear about it in the first book but it would be so easy for the kids not to face any repercussions for using their power because you know they're young so they have a lot of life force and 
we're obviously not going to have our main characters entirely lose their abilities to do things, but to have, like, a secondary main character, someone they know lose their power, I think, like, really drives it home. And it's, um, you know, obviously a common literary motif to have people who have powers have their powers, like, taken away. Because it's, like... I mean, we see that all the time in superhero movies, like, where superheroes can't use their powers for any number yeah. of reasons, and, like, how super are they without them? Like, and then when they can do things beyond just using, like, their super strength or whatever it is, that's when we really root for them, because they overcome. And Dybbuk, like, it was just, I think it's really a good plot device, and, like, good for world building to have Dybbuk lose his powers, personally. Yeah, I think that makes sense, but... Mostly I was just saying, I think I liked this scene the most because as Dybbuk was talking about it and like complaining, literally in my head, like as the conversation was going, I was like, how is he complaining? It's literally his fault that he's in the situation. Multiple people warned you. And then as I'm thinking that, John literally says exactly what I'm thinking, which is kind of similar to, I think it was in the last book when he like called somebody out for something. I can't remember now, but... Marco Polo when Oh, it was when Marco Polo told the story and then at the end was like, and actually I lost it. And he's like, you couldn't have led with that? Like, you went through that whole hour-long story just to tell us you don't even have what we need? Like, just, I don't know. This, so that's the second time I've connected to John. But I just liked, like, the no-nonsense attitude of, like, are you kidding me? Like, this is your fault. So, and also, Dybbuk is now officially my least favorite character. I mean... He's definitely being set up as the new villain since now maybe Iblis won't come back. But now I have a feeling if Dybbuk is going to be evil, as we're going to find out soon, or we're going to talk about soon, is maybe he's going to try to release Iblis and they're going to work together and be the ultimate big, big, big bad. Well, let's get there. So the three of them, Zadie, Dybbuk, and Bakribi, they go into the Eye of the Forest. They go get their gold, or they want to. But... And the good guys are like, the good guys are discussing what to do. And they realize because of some of the artifacts that Zadie had with her that they need for the ritual, that it the ritual is almost definitely a giant nuclear bomb. And Nimrod's like, well, Jin have known about nuclear, you know, physics forever because we're literally made out of fire. Like, it's not that big of a leap. Um... And it makes perfect sense that, like, this gateway that um, an Incan god like Jin would have constructed if he was trying to lure the Spaniards in to, like, and then have them ignite themselves, that makes perfect sense that it would be, like, a revenge temple, basically. But they figure that out. The three bad guys have not figured it out, so... They are going to go follow them in because they obviously don't want the bad guys to set off a giant nuclear bomb um, on the entire Western Hemisphere. That was also a plot yeah, twist. Yeah, it doesn't uh, seem like a good thing. That was also a plot twist I did not see coming. Yeah. So they go in after McCreeby, and there's the opposite wish effect is in effect again. So again, what I was just talking about, literary motif of having people who have powers have their powers limited again we give them an obstacle where they can't use their powers we really see what they're made of so this is another time in the book that we get that and i just wanted to call it out because my 12th grade english lip teacher would be proud of me a plus for charles i actually got a five on that ap test that is impressive I mean, I didn't get a five on the AP Lang, so what does that say? That I did better on Lit than Lang? I don't know. I didn't take either of those tests. I was a math and science gal. Anyway, back to my love-hate relationship with Gronin. So now we have to cancel Gronin, at least temporarily, because while they're talking about all these things with, like, the nuclear bomb, Nimrod is explaining how, like... The Incans, like, could have had access access to this knowledge because Mako Kapak was a djinn. And, like, Charles just said, like, the djinn knew way more about nuclear physics and stuff. 
And Gronin's like, how on earth would the Incans have, like, been able to know this? Like, they weren't scientists. I think John even, like, comments on it of, like, they were savages. Like, they couldn't have been scientists. And Namorod is just like, you're being racist. Like, you're literally racist right now. Like, underestimating them. And when he calls Gronin a racist, Gronin's response is just, yes, sir. Like, he's just like, yeah, that's the truth. Such a disappointment. Canceled. Yeah, you can tell this book was written at a time when um, no one, even ironically, would want to be identified. Well, I guess there are people nowadays who would want to be identified as racist. But, um, you know, no one in polite society <laughs> of being called, being called a racist would even jokingly be like, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like, it all happened so fast. Like, it just happened and they moved on to the next topic. And I was like, oh, wow. I well, feel like this didn't need to be here. Because Gronin has made, like, pretty racially insensitive remarks the whole time. I mean, even, like, the whole, I won't eat food in other countries. Um, you know, it's like, okay, bruh, like, say it another way. Dog whistle it a little more for me. But the, yeah, Nimrod's literally like, Gronin, you're racist. And, yeah, definitely, it definitely aged the book a little bit for me. Yeah. Well from there so i pulled another line that's honestly grown and being iconic which i thought you would appreciate so they're worried they're gonna have to zap zany for something like they're wanting like gin power her and nimrod says i really hate that expression it sounds like a pest controller and Gronin says zady is a pest and she needs to be controlled <laughs> i thought that was really funny I mean, she literally is a pest. I stand by that statement. She was the most annoying character of the book. For sure. Unequivocally. I just thought it was really funny. No, yeah. Like, because she ends up getting caught, like, in this bridge. And I was like, they should have left her to die. Like, honestly, when they were like, oh, we have to take her. I was like, leave her. She should oh be Oh, my dead. God. So rude. She couldn't help it. She was hypnotized. Like, I know she was hypnotized, but, like, she was too rude. Like, I'm sorry. She yeah, she so did annoying. also call Gronin fat, like, like ten times. And she asked really insensitive questions about the Incans as well. She was just rude, so I was, like, not going to miss her. And, like, I hope her she's not in the next book because she's annoying. Yeah, I thought. Also, like, the reconciliation at the end, like, we have to be nice to her because she was hypnotized. I'm like... Um, I was with John again. I was with John. Then he's like, "Do we though?" Also, it's like, "Do we?" Like, um, that's also such a like early two thousands like mentality of like intentions are really really important, and I think it's very like later twenty first century or early twenty first century um, mentality to be like intentions are one thing, but outcomes are also important, and like even if you didn't mean to be racist. If you are racist, like, that has a bearing on the person who receives that. And so the same thing exactly. applies here. Like, yes, she didn't mean to be totally insufferable, but she was totally insufferable. And it was really dangerous for them. And, like, maybe I don't want to be friends with her so, anymore. Anyway, like, that, that she was stupid that, enough to that get hypnotized. Also, like, the whole, like, like we got to forgive her. And then they forgive her at the end. I'm like, that felt very, like, 1998 to me. Yeah. So, unfortunately, then the good guys do end up saving Zadie, but they are able to stop McCreepy, but Dybbuk is still up in the temple or whatever, and he's able to kind of half set off the ritual anyway, and this, like, sets off, like, a lot of, like, radiation or something, so they have to, like, put on these suits, and Philippa is like, we have to save him, which I was already, like, because... So we said that the ritual was creating a nuclear bomb, but because they didn't get the last piece by Dybbuk, like, setting it off, it's just, like, putting a whole bunch of radiation. Is that the right word? Yeah. Okay. A bunch of radiation in the air, and, like, Nimrod's like, this is super dangerous to humans, like, we shouldn't be breathing this in, and he's like, the fact that Dybbuk is, like, literally right on top of it, like, he's probably dead already, so I was like, yes, Dybbuk's dead, let's go home, like, story over but philip was like no we can't leave him behind like we have to go save him so this annoying girl and she has her little shoes her little strawberry slippers from the last book that actually turn out to come in handy like we kind of suspected because why else would they have been introduced and they basically have extra strength powers so 
when they entered this like second dimension, whatever we want to call it, they can't use their gym powers because we said like the when you cast a wish, it does the opposite. So they haven't been using their gym powers, but with her sh- new little shoes, she's able to like have power. So she decides that she's going to go save Dybbuk because she has this, which was really annoying. But before we get to that point, we flash a Dybbuk. And this is where, like, he was just kind of showing how he's the perfect example of, like, just how dangerous it is to be stupid. Because he's, like, deciding whether or not he's going to go through with this half of the ritual. And basically this, like, ghost form of Mr. Rakshashas appears and he, like, explains that he, like gave like a portion of himself to like him and the to Dybbuk and the twins to kind of serve as like an extra conscience for like when you're faced with like a really difficult choice or something that like could literally change your life he's kind of there to like give you some guidance and Mr. Rakshas is literally giving him all of these analogies on why he should not go through with this like why absolutely this is not the right thing to do and I don't think, like, I don't really know how well it's established, like, how well, like, Dybbuk knew Mr. Rakshasas and, like, if they were close, like, the twins were with him. But still, like, he's obviously a very respected older Jin, and, like, he's telling you in multiple different ways, like, this is not the way to go about it. Like, there could be another way. And Dybbuk is literally just like, you know, well, it, you know what? It's my mistake to make, and I'm going to do it. And he just does it. And I don't know. It was just so stupid and so annoying that like this was the point where I was like I mean I was already disliking Dybbuk from when he was talking to John and John's like whose fault is that but here I was just like obviously now he's fully gone off the deep end with his stupidity that like I don't think he'll be able to come back from it well yeah so the Mr. Rakshasas thing was also really touching because he's like so Mr. Rakshasas was from their tribe and he says like the three of you were born around the same time you were the new gen in our tribe and I did this when you were born to, like, give you this gift, like, to, like, attach some of my conscience to you. Like, it's such a, like, actually a really touching gift. Like, if you think about it, like, to have an elder, you know, from your family, basically, yeah. like, come back to you. And Dybbuk was so rude. <laughs> He's so rude. And so then, and yeah, when he was like, it's my mistake to make, that's, like, people who don't get vaccinated against COVID or don't wear, didn't wear masks for against COVID when we were like in peak COVID. I'm like, it's your mistake, except no, because yes, you're the first person to get impacted, but by you spreading this disease around, you create more variants that are going to keep me from working. So it's not just your choice. Like exactly what you said, being an idiot, you know, has a lot of repercussions for everyone else around you. And then, so, Philippa comes, and then, basically, Dybbuk divides himself into two. Monko Kapak, like, divides him into two. And there's good buck and bad buck. And, basically, Dybbuk has to decide between, you know, going good or going bad. And he chooses bad. So, Philippa leaves without him. And... Monko Kapax. Well, and also the bad buck literally like kills the good yes. buck. Like he murders him. Yes. And Monko Kapak basically says Dybbuk was the twins because he's the good and the bad twin. And that was kind of like the resolution of the prophecy, I guess. Um, and it felt like. I thought it made sense in the sense of they've been kind of establishing since we found out that Dybbuk's father is Iblis, that he has this internal battle between like good and evil inside of him going on. So I thought it was like interesting in the sense of, especially since they just randomly threw this prophecy in, I felt like it makes sense that it was like, it was random because we didn't even realize that like Dybbuk really has like these, had these two like beings almost inside of him that like were totally... In contrast, whereas obviously at the beginning, your assumption is, oh, well, the twins, it must be our main characters, Philippa and John. So we thought that was at least a nice twist where, like, we just get this random prophecy thrown in it, but it's kind of random because it doesn't actually even have to do with our main characters. It's, like, on the side for, like, another character we've met, but kind of like a villain, a villain origin story. So, like, I thought that was, like, an acceptable explanation for that, personally. Yeah. Especially also since we didn't really get the prophecy writ 
written out. Like, it wasn't, like, we knew the text of the prophecy, and so we were able to, like, fill in clues. Like, we just knew there wasn't a a prophecy-ish thing. And so, you know, now, like, yeah, I think that you're right. Also, in a book that was full of plot twists, one more that, you know, something isn't about the twins, I kind of like that, now that you say that. So, that's okay with me. And so, Philippa then, you know, he basically, Dybbuk is bad, Philippa leaves without him, and the good guys, they get out of there. Which I have to say, I mean, the whole scene is Philippa, which I guess maybe this is why, like, I don't know why, but the whole series, I have been relating more to John, I guess, but where Philippa is maybe, like, a little bit too nice, because she's like, I want to save, like, the good Dybbuk or whatever, and I was like, good Dybbuk also made this idiotic decision, like, he's done, like, it was where I was saying of, like, how saying, like, this decision is, like, what pushed him off the deep end, like, he can't come back from it. I feel like also in terms of, like, their friendship, his decision to go through with the ritual was enough to be, like, we can't be friends anymore because you're too stupid. Like, that alone is, like, I don't want to save you anymore because you can't be saved because you're stupid. Like, you can't save someone who doesn't want to save themselves. Yeah, I I take your point. I just think that, like, because they made such a big deal about, like, the tribe of Jin you belong to really impacts, like, who you are as a person. Like, because he's kind of, like, this unique conflict, he can't help it. But I do take your point that, like, doesn't make you... because he can't help it, then he, therefore, he must be the enemy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the idea of the good people, I feel like, are always, like oh, we're, like, gonna sacrifice everything to try to save these people, and it's, like, they're your enemy. Just accept it, and, like, you need to protect yourself. Fair enough. I take your point. I take your point. I mean, he literally murdered his other version of himself. Like, I don't know, I guess, and that was maybe the turning point for her. That was when she's, like, she's, like, she knew he was gone, and that's why she left. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. She didn't, like, you know, when he did that, she left. She's, like, I can't. Whereas when Nimrod was, like, it's too late for Dybbuk, I was, like, let's go. Bags are packed. Let's go. (laughs) I don't need to see him again. <laughs> after, again, after, and whose fault is that? Because he was, like, throwing his own little pity party, and I was like, that's your own fault. I know, that fault. was really pathetic. It's like, I don't feel bad like, for bro. you. I guess that's where I was also at, that it's like, you're feeling like you want us to pity you, and, like, all of your issues stem from your own, like, you made those decisions. Those were choices you made. Yeah. Well, as Dumbledore tells but us. But anyway. It is our... What is it? Our actions far more than our abilities that determine who we are. So, Dybbuk's actions more than his abilities. There we go. It all comes back to Harry Potter yes, in the which, end of the okay. day. Oh, my God. So then, one more thing that Philippa does that I completely disagreed with, which I also had the same reaction <laughs> as John when she finally told everyone else, is right when they, like, get back to, like, they're about to, like, fly home and stuff she ends up burying the magic slippers like she buries them because she's like she ends up saying like they're too powerful but when she ends up telling john and like he's like why on earth would you do that and i was also like why like i feel like they're literally i mean i'm assuming about to go to war with evil dybbuk because he's gonna get evil like i already can see i mean this is the end of the series coming like It's going to be a huge conflict, and she's given away, like, this huge amount of power, which, like, I understand what she's saying in the sense of it felt, like, too much, too much pressure, like, and that is something that I'll say, like, in a good character, and Nimrod says, like, you're able to recognize when something's too much power for yourself, but, like, she could have still, like, I don't know, locked him in a safe, like, behind multiple doors where, like, it would be a process for her to get to, but, like, not have to, like, fully get rid of them. Also... She just buried them. That means anybody could find them and use them against her. Like, I don't know. I just, not smart. I don't know. I don't think that that's like, she didn't think it through. Yeah, I take your point. I mean, it makes sense to me that she would do that. But I take your point that like, there is another way to deal with that. Yeah, destroying them would have. If she had destroyed them, like no one can use it. But the fact that she hid them, essentially, that means anybody could find them and use it too. Yeah, I mean, I think the implication is that no one will, but I take your point. I really do take your point. So, final thoughts. We should probably check in with the other gaunts, because we've not really talked about them all book. So, Layla, she went to get her magical gin plastic surgery, and it worked great. Also, we got this, like, weird, like, the surgeon's name is Stanley Kowalski, like, from Streetcar New Desire, and the surgeon has made himself look like a young, hot Marlon Brando, which... I mean, I understand he was so beautiful in that movie. But anyway, 
So it's worked out. So Mrs. Gauntrum flies back and now just looks like Mrs. Gaunt. So she's just Layla again. And Edward has like half freed himself actually from the, he's like freed himself from his captors. And then Layla shows up. Which, okay, I just, I didn't write this down, but he's able to free himself because he stores a paperclip inside, no, don't talk like, about the dry it. skin so of gross. his feet. That was so nasty. <laughs> Again, why was this book so gross? He's like, and also because he says, he just keeps it in there. Like, it's not something he puts in every day. It's in there permanently. He had to dig <laughs> his fingers. Think about how many layers of dead skin have to be on your foot in the first place for, like, something to be able to sit in there. Like, that's a disease waiting to happen like a metal paperclip that definitely sounds so dangerous like please don't do that yeah that was pretty gross but you know he's like a houdini he's a houdini stan anyway you know it's definitely gross it's nasty so then mrs layla go mrs layla mrs gaunt comes to enact revenge and it kind of sounds like tell me what you think but it sounded like she like fully renounced her gin power at the end like mr gaunt was like it freaks me out i don't like not having secrets like i don't like worrying that you could like turn me into a cat if you're mad at me and it sounded like she like gives up on being a djinn completely is that what you thought too well i can't i mean yeah i mean basically i mean i thought he was gonna i thought mr gaunt was gonna ask her for a divorce that's what it sounded like he was saying because he was he was basically saying that he was afraid of her and i was like oh god like i wonder if this will like you know get into like how or like this is why Jin and Mundanes don't have relationships because the reality is everything that he was saying was valid and he was like, the reality is it's just like with how you have all this power, like, like, you know, it's great that you have it, but like, it does make me afraid of you. And like, how are we supposed to have a healthy relationship when I'm in fear from my life of like getting turned into an animal if I do something wrong? Like, I totally understood that. And so that's why I didn't know where he was going with it, but it makes sense that for Layla... The only way for her to ensure that he isn't afraid is to be like, well, I'm not going to use Jim Power ever again, so you wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, so we'll have but. to see in the next book, because that's what she did when they got married the first time. She just wasn't a djinn. She didn't act like a djinn. But, like, is there, like, a permanent way that she can, like, give it up? Can she give her dib- her flame to Dybbuk instead? Not that she should. I just remember, too, like... I thought at, like, the beginning of the series, when we first talked about Layla's, like, renouncement of her Jin power, wasn't there, like, some sort of, like, she talked about, like, once you kind of take it back, when you renounce it again, like, it either doesn't count, or it's permanent, like, there was some sort of clause she, like, explained in, like, you know, the the rules and stuff. Yeah, it was in the second book, when she, when she, like, she starts using her power again because the twins get threatened, and I think there. I think it was and, that once, if you do it again, people and she won't says, take you seriously. Like, yeah. I can't renounce it again. People won't take you seriously. Exactly. So I was confused as to like what that is going to involve. Also, because it's not like she was using her gin power that much. Like she was using it in self defense. I mean, she went a little crazy, but like, and she did go into his body without him knowing. I mean, but. I'll say also. I also, I was on Mr. Gon's side as well because when she, like, she's on her way to rescue him or whatever, and he ends up having to save her. Yeah. Basically, uh, she enters his body. Obviously, my first thought is they need to leave. Like, he's been kidnapped, but her first thought was revenge, and that is where, like, to me, it was, like, selfish thinking in the sense of, I understand you're angry, but, like, I think you should be getting your husband to safety and also not... Be, and not only just like, oh, priorities revenge, but also using his body to get the revenge. I feel like was like kind of crossing a line, like. Sure. To where, yeah, he felt like he had to say something because it's just like, literally, there's nothing left of me. You've taken everything. Like, you've literally been inside my mind and seen all my darkest secrets. And obviously, we're married and like, I'm sure there's nothing like crazy, but just still the idea of like having absolutely no privacy and then the fact that like she just without hesitation like used his body i would also feel violated like totally in the sense of like you don't even have enough respect to be like to overcome your emotion and be like oh maybe you know i should let my husband who's been kidnapped for the past couple days or week or whatever like maybe my priority should be getting him to safety and like making sure that he's okay and comfortable as opposed to i just need revenge and that's where like i do think that like the power was like 
getting to her. Like, this idea of, like, she's this power. She's got to exact her revenge right now so she can turn them into an animal right this second. As opposed to, like, well, what if they get away? Like, who cares? All that matters is that, you know, my husband's safe. I, I So, like, I did think that, like, she... Layla, like, the power to me was going a little bit to her head. Like, I think... Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a fair assessment. And yeah, I mean, it kind of sounded divorcey to me, but we'll have to see in the next book what the solution ends up being. Because, you know. Well, especially as they go into, like, again, when I said I'm assuming we're leading up to, like, some sort of large battle by the last book on whether Layla will continue to stay on the sidelines or if she will come back in to, like, help. Well, I guess that leaves us with things to look forward to in the last two books. Look at that transition. I'm amazing. So next week, we're reading the sixth book, The Five Fakirs? Yeah. Of Faizabad? Faizabad, but yeah. Okay. How on earth am I supposed to know what that says? The Five Fakirs of Faizabad. Because when two vowels go go walking, the first one does the talking. Faizabad. Anyway, The Five Fakirs of Faizabad. So if you're going to read along, you can go ahead and read that whole book, which is very long, I'm sure, for next week. And then after that, we'll only have one book left. And we'll also be announcing our next series next week, right? I think so, because then we'll, yeah, yeah, we will. So if you have predictions, theories, questions, comments, you know the drill, you want to weigh in on the correct pronunciation of Jaguar, remember that you can stay in touch with us about any of that on the Nerd Party website. You just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact. You select throwback paperback. That'll send us an email. You can also get in touch with the network on Twitter at Join Nerd Party or on Instagram at The Nerd Party or facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. And to find me, I'm at seashells on Instagram. And I'm at asiabony on TikTok and at asia.bony on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network, but make sure you're subscribed to us so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the Nerd Party.